from the Leo Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. My name is Chip the Block, and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals to talk about law enforcement issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our panelists. Guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show, uh, we have attorney and former federal prosecutor Ward Mythaler. We also have an all-retired uh, Chief John Newman. Uh, we have Major Ronald McMullen, Captain Brett Bartlett, Corporal David D. Gresta, Officer Cody Ann Cook, all the way in New York this evening, and also producer Will Statzer. So thanks, guys, for being on online. We appreciate it. Also want to give a shout out to our sponsors. We have Column Case Management. We have Guardian Alliance Technologies, Extra Duty Solutions, Viridian Weapon Technologies, and GunLearn.com. We're also syndicated on the radio. Uh, we're nationally syndicated through the Cutting Edge Radio Network, also the Boss Hog Radio Network, and we're also on Cutting Edge TV. More information about them later. We're powered by PECSIP. And guys, hey, we've got a, a good lineup this evening. Uh, without wasting any more time, let's go ahead and get started. Got a very interesting article. Uh, it's on policeone.com, and it's titled The Rarity of Deadly Force. It's not something that we normally see in the news because they're always talking about a deadly force or use of force incident that they want to kind of exploit. But And as David always says, use of force is never pretty. So it talks about in 2018, uh, police made over 10.3 million arrests in the United States. So think about that, over 10 million arrests. That same year, they killed 990 people. So that's, so that's less than one in 10,000. So again, over 10 million arrests and under 1,000 people killed. Now, between the years 2011 to 2015, the number of people who had police contact ranged from 62.9 million to 53.5 million. So taking the lower number of contacts for an average of, of being 53 and a half million and using the number of deaths in 2018, that's less than one in 54,000 people. Amazing. So pretty low. And then she mentions about what about uh, when police are justified in using deadly force, but they actually refrain from doing so. I mean, whoever talks about that, right, David? So in there's a study, Restraint in the Use of Deadly Force, a preliminary study, and I'm not going to get too into it, uh, but they had a training section where they're gathering intelligence on this survey, and they had uh, 295 officers with an average of 17 years of police experience. They completed a confidential survey about their use of force and related issues. The survey revealed a notable pattern of officers foregoing the use of, just, of justified deadly force. So officers in the sample were involved in 1,189 situations where deadly force was actually justified, and officers fired their weapons in 87 of these incidents and re brain from firing in 1,102. So again, they fired 87 times, but they could have done 1,102. So in other words, officers refrained from using justified deadly force 93% of the time. Imagine that. And 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 look, I, I've always said, I mean, granted, as police officers in, in the right scenario, we've got the power to use deadly force. But I think one of our, our our biggest strengths as far as power is the power of discretion in the job. The 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 power of discretion in law enforcement, it's its almost secondary than, to nothing for me. And, and this actually proves that I think we've all been involved in situations where we could have justifiably used deadly force, but we have refrained from one reason or another, you know, from doing it. Um, so anyhow, that said, any comments on the study, guys? Do you guys think that she's uh, got a point? Do you think it's good that the public actually hears this side of it? Corporal David? Old news. I think we've been talking about this for how many years now? I mean, it's I, I, it was kind of just rehashing all the information that we've all known forever that the 
the people with agendas have a a really wonderful way of ignoring. So it's it's nothing new to us. We all know it. The public's been told it enough times, I think. If they choose to look elsewhere or get their information from um, other sources, then, you know, like I said, guys, it's 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 it, that's a difficult situation to to lead the horse to water. Uh, the truth is there. Uh, it's it's up to them to 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 believe it or not. But it's the same old information we've been seeing for years. Thanks, Dave uh, Ward and Cody. Love to hear your input. Uh- I understand what David's saying. I felt the same thing. However, there was a very interesting suggestion, something new, that is a study that would determine how many times or how typical was it for an officer to refrain from using lethal force when he could have. I think that would be something that would be remarkably interesting and could be um, uh, good publicity for the police officers. Well, I know they talked a lot about getting um, additional data than what they have now, although now we have some data trickling down the pipe that we never had before, uh, but, but but good point. I know we've got uh, Cody and, and actually a, a lot of people are waiting to weigh in, guys, but we got six and a half minutes, so go ahead, Cody, start us off. I think it'd be interesting to start seeing more statistics on the accuracy of how many police officers are attacked, uh, not just killed. You know, obviously we keep track of how many are killed a year, but how many are actually attacked and injured and to what capacity, um, I think would be an interesting thing to add to all the stats that are coming in. And I think as far as the public goes, although they'd be interested to hear these stats, if there's one unjustified shooting between a police officer and a civilian, it's one too many. So they're going to focus on what the media is going to spin their way uh, obviously, because look at the tonality of what's going on in America today with modern day law enforcement. Um, you know, the public asked us to be one way for many years, and now it's being spun that we're a different way and that we're much more militant and aggressive and abusive than what's actually factual. Um, of course, there are a segment of police officers that are exactly that and need to be removed from their position, but there's certainly a large amount who are excellent at their job, care about their communities, and do things the right way. So, I think this is a great article. The The question is, is this article only going to touch us, those of us who were, were or currently are in law enforcement that are going to pay attention to it? You know, when is, you know, mass media going to spin this article so that the, you know, the population sees this and sees the real facts? Thanks, Cody. All right. We've got the chief, the captain and, uh, and the major. So go ahead, guys. You know, I, I was going to go ahead. I get to, I'm sorry. I got to take a call. I got somebody call me up right back. All right, I was just going to say quickly that, uh, you know, when you said old news, that was so perfect, David. Um, you're absolutely correct. This is, you know, when, when data matters, it doesn't matter during election season or when the press don't want to report it, which is sad because all, all facts should be reported as they are. And, um, and that's basically it. I agree with you. Facts matter. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Major Captain. We got uh, about four and a half minutes. Well, you know, this data is old. Uh, it doesn't make it quite clear. It says in 2018, it talks about number of arrests. It says between 2011 and 2015, number of contacts. So I don't know how old that is. But, you know, I, I'm kind of concerned about the fact that there were so many times when officers were justified in using deadly force, but didn't use the deadly force. And I think we're mentioning we need to take a hard look at this and see what's going on. Has there been a general uh, decline? Has there, in the last few years, uh, have officers been under pressure not to 
use their guns when they could have used a gun. I mean, let's face it, guys, if we were in a deadly force situation where deadly force is authorized, wouldn't we shoot? So there, there's some, there's a gap there, and I don't quite understand why this information is not pre presented, but if it was authorized, why wasn't it used? Well, you know, Brett, you look at that Atlanta shooting where the guy turned on the taser, and I've asked people before, look, you know, the, squarely right smack in the middle of a deadly force policy, at least by our standards. But I have, I have a lot of folks who told me they wouldn't have shot for a number of different reasons. But it's funny, as I listen to Brett and, and, and Ward and Dave and everybody on the panel, it's the students of the game that are finding the interesting part of the article what Brett is talking about, why aren't people shooting? Because I really think that's the most intriguing part. But most people won't get past the first paragraph about the number of shootings. You know, you have a better chance of winning the pick five in this state than you are involved in a deadly shooting. I don't think I've ever won a pick three lottery. I mean, while you guys are sitting here talking, I'm trying to figure out what the, you know, the percentages of the odds are of winning a lottery. And pick five is right around that 50,000 to 100,000, uh, you know, percentage. So, you know, you don't have, you have a better chance of hitting the lottery, it, it literally, you know, not figuratively. But what are we all picking up on? The, the, the student of the game stuff, the detail stuff that impacts our occupation. I agree with Dave. I, we, this has been out there for a while, but I think we still have to beat the drum. I doubt very much if anyone's going to hear the pounding because now they're looking at video camera where we're allowed to use, you know, use of force. It was justified for deadly use of force. And they're saying, well, we don't agree with that guy and the guy coming out of a police officer with a knife, a guy having a gun in his hand. We shoot him. It's on body cam. And they don't agree with that because it doesn't fit their narrative. I still think we have to beat the drum, though, because the other side and definitely the media is beating the other side of the drum and it's making us look like Cody said, you know, these over aggressive officers when actuality, the statistics don't pr uh, prove that. But I, I thought it was unique that all of us picked up on the one that probably bothers us the most. Why aren't we shooting when we're allowed to? Thanks, Chief. All right, guys, and I don't. I guess there's nobody else on this. And, and Brett, when you were saying, I was, I was thinking when you were saying that, Brett. I, you're right. We cover a lot of stories, especially when we get to California. We cover a lot of stories on the show that where uh, deadly force not only could have been used justifiably, but should have been used justifiably, and it wasn't. Um, I, I can think of a of a. I think twice in my career where I didn't pull the trigger when I could have, and I had my own reasons for doing that. One of them was I was with a CI undercover buying dope, and a guy, I was convinced he had his hand wrapped up in a shirt pointed at me doing an armed robbery, and I chose not to pull the trigger, and I had my gun aimed at him. That He never saw my gun, but just little things like that. But but I think you're, I think you're on to something. Most of what we, we cover on the show that where they should have used it, they seem like there's a reluctance to it. And you've got about 30 seconds, Brett, go ahead. Well, it'd be, it'd be better if this person could take the ones where they could have shot and break it down into categories of scenarios to make us maybe feel better about why not. But it gives no indication about that. It's just could have shot, didn't shoot. That doesn't really tell the story. I agree. I see. I see where you're coming from. I, I agree. I agree with that. And hopefully they'll get the more, you know, get additional data as well. So um, very good, guys. Hey, uh, before we get to the next topic, we're going to take a commercial break and we will be right back. All right. 
right. Hey, I would like you guys to check out call and case management software for the life cycle of your case. Some of the biggest clients are Chicago PD, New Orleans PD, the Texas Department of Insurance, and the Inspector General of Ohio, but their typical agency has only 15 to 30 investigators using their software. And why, you might ask, it's because their data is not only easy to enter in the manage, but you can quickly drag and drop any size attachment, including video, into the case. They also have a link analysis module, a community policing module, smart reporting, and their mobile-first technology lets you do all this from your smartphone, laptop, or your desktop. They also have a 24-hour help desk that will respond to you within only 30 to 45 seconds. Imagine that. So Column Case has launched a NIBRS compliant records management application, and for a limited time, you can mention Leo Roundtable for a free two-year subscription. How cool is that? So from the opening complaint to case close, let Column manage the life cycle of your case. Visit columncase.com or schedule a free demo by emailing info at columncase.com. All right, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Guys, I think that we uh, exhausted that first topic. I have some very good information on there. Thank you very much. On the second one, and we are still on policeone.com, there is a former San Francisco cop who was charged with manslaughter in a fatal 2017 officer-involved shooting. And I know what you're thinking. Now, this is the end of 2020, and this shooting happened back, you know, at least three years ago, and they're just now getting around the charging them. It's an interesting story. So San Francisco District Attorney uh, Chesa Bowden announced on Monday that he was, I guess he's filed manslaughter charges against police officer who fatally shot a 42-year-old named Keita O'Neill during a 2017 case. Now, um, and, and it was a pursuit as well. So Bowden is a former public defender who campaigned on being lenient and compassionate uh, to defendants in their sentencing. He won a competitive election that happened last year. And during that election, he also promised to be tough on law enforcement. So keep that in the back of your mind as we're talking about this. So here's some quotes saying, I'm committed to equal enforcement of the law and to a justice system where the outcomes don't depend on the color of your skin, how much money you have in the bank, or whether you wear a uniform to work. And that's what he said in the interview. Now, he also added, we're filing charges in the Akita O'Neill case because we're confident that we can prove to a jury that when Mr. O'Neill was shot and killed, it was an unlawful shooting and it was an unlawful taking of human life. Now, San Francisco Police Department officer Christopher Samayo, he graduated from the police academy and started field training when he shot um, O'Neill on December the 1st, 2017. Um, it also goes on to say that Bowden charged him with three additional felonies, assault with a firearm, reckless discharge of a firearm, and a lawful assault by a police officer. And there's a three-year statute of limitations that runs out on December 1st. So the uh, state attorney, the, you know, he's, uh, he's moving forward on this and getting it done quickly because, you know, that statute of limitations is up tomorrow. Um, the O'Neill shooting, uh, it spurred outrage in San Francisco. It came at the end of a chaotic pursuit. It began when O'Neill allegedly snatched car keys from a state lottery worker in uh, Potrero Hill, pushed her to the ground, drove off in her white minivan, and police attempted to stop the van, then chased it into a public housing complex where O'Neill fled on foot. He ran by a patrol cruiser driven by Edric Tolleson. He's the field training officer in Samaya, who is the you know the training officer? I mean the uh, the the rookie. Um, he was the passenger in the vehicle. He opened the side door, shot through the window, struck O'Neill in the head. Police said that O'Neill was unarmed, and neither officer had activated his body worn camera before the shooting, which was a policy violation. Uh, again, um, 
you know, they're expecting guys to activate these cameras when stuff like this is going down, you know, very quickly. I have my own feelings about that. But our rookie um, turned us on immediately afterward. So um, Samaya's attorney, that's the cop that's been charged as attorney, Allison Barry Wilkinson, said the officer did precisely what the San Francisco Police Department trained him to do. But the lawyer representing the O'Neill family in a federal civil rights suit deemed that the shooting uh, was wrong. And the police department fired the officer in March of 2018. So he's been gone for a while and the internal affairs investigation is still open. So I know that's a mouthful. We've got roughly four and a half minutes. Any comments on this investigation, guys? I mean, it's still the officer's been fired. It's open on the books, Brett. And I know that you were internal affairs commander for a while. um, And they're just now charging him before the uh, limitations runs out. Uh, Major Ron. You know, I have a, I have a really big issue with the fact that he says he, he tells to the public that I'm going to be the one to uh, like hammer the police. And then he uses this as his um, as his banner. Uh, you know, why not just, you know, take your cases as they come, take them one at a time and then do what needs to be done instead of trying to rush to judgment and then try to hammer this kid right before December. December 1st, when a statute of limitation runs out, you have three years to mull on this and you're going to do it the week of the, the you know, of the of when it hits its term and you're talking about what you touted, you know, that you're not a, I, just keep poli- politics out of law enforcement and let's just try to do the right thing. And this guy is a quintessential person who follows the news and tries to do everything um, that looks good in the press. He's a clout chaser. And just by reading his articles and some of the other stuff he's done, it, it's disgusting to me what, you, what has happened to law enforcement. Thanks, Major. Obviously, there's some information that we just don't know. I'd love to hear what the department policy was and exactly what the justification was for the shooting. And, and I, I suspect that in their minds, it's completely justified as far as the officer and his attorney. But Attorney Ward, love to get your input. Uh for your information, in case you don't know who this guy is, and there's been several articles on things he's done. His his name is pronounced Boudin, Joseph Boudin. He's the son of Kathy Boudin, who was the leftist militant with the Weather Underground, who was convicted of felony murder um, because of the Brinks bank robbery back in 1981. Her father was Leonard Boudin, a very radical lawyer for labor unions and that sort of thing. I actually had a, a course with him at Harvard. Um, but but this is who you this is who you have as the prosecutor in this city at this point. Wow, I see David shaking his head while you were saving that. So or saying that. So um, yeah, interesting. And 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 Ron, Major Ron, I, you notice how he suddenly had to throw the Harvard angle in there just because we've got you that went to Brown on the show tonight too. So I, I just that was subtle yeah. but effective. Yeah, yeah, I caught I caught his little look. Harvard, Harvard, raw. <laughs> <laughs> Chief Newman? Yeah, I'm curious. I'd like to see what Brett's opinion is, why the Internal Affairs Division didn't close the case. You know, he gets separated in March. Um, you know, whether they can him or he left by himself, unless they know there's a three-year statute of limitations. I'm not sure in that state if you have a transactional immunity, you know, what, they, what the uh, rules are in that state in terms of giving up information in a criminal proceeding and it can't carry over. But once he separates from the department, I'm not sure, but I think I would I would have given some sort of disposition on this case, unless they don't want to you know, use that disposition, have hang over the department's head if they clear them. You know, one of the issues I always had personally and as a commander of IA is that, you know, justice delayed is justice denied. 
And the longer they take to do this guy, whatever they're going to do to him, it, it serves no purpose other than political purpose, or it shows hesitancy, or maybe they were just waiting on timing. But you know, once the facts are in, the letter should be written, there should be a finding, should be over, and, and move this guy down the road. You know, to hold him hostage all that time, you know, it's just, it's just I'd have told those people to kiss my butt and I'd have left. So, you know, once once the interviews are done, and depending on the agency how it's done, the letter is written, goes to the decision maker, make the decision. It just, it has to be a priority. Well, thank you, Captain. I appreciate that. And that's that was an excellent point on uh, on not not ruling and uh, losing out on the ruling. It does affect you. Hey, we're going to take another commercial break, guys, but we will be right back. I want to take an opportunity real quick to tell you guys how best to watch our show. Now, our live shows are on YouTube every Monday evening, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Now, the show's roughly an hour and a half long. And from this hour and a half show, our producer, Will, uh, splits up in the five segments, attaches and embeds videos and pictures and things that we just don't have the capability and the time to do during a live show. And he'll upload those to YouTube Tuesday through Saturday. And we're also on Rumble as well. So it's a, uh, it's a great way... Uh, to watch the show. So if you want to participate in the live show, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you have your alerts turned on. You get notices from YouTube with a link and you can converse with us during the live show, type messages through YouTube. And then you can watch the shows with the embedded video Tuesday through Saturday on our YouTube channel and also on Rumble as well. Uh, we'll have some uh, more information on other ways to watch the show coming up in a second. Welcome back to Leo Roundtable. If there's no more content, guys, or uh, conversations on that last one, and that was an excellent point, uh, Brett. Brett, how did you phrase that? Uh, justice uh, delayed is uh, is justice denied. Is that how you said that? Justice denied. Yeah, it's it's like the it's like the whole thing about the death penalty. It takes 20 years to to give a guy the Jesus shot, you know, and by that time it's it has served no purpose. So if the, if IA if the discipline process is also to notify other people this particular behavior will not be tolerated, then then why wait two years for the message? In the meantime, everybody on that agency, including the guy, are going, wow, what's going on here? Why is this taking so long? And it forms mistrust, and, and, and it serves no purpose. If investigation's over, make a finding, move on. You know, Captain, you're so right. Now, if you think back, Captain, you know, you a lot of people don't know you know, my story and when you and I were working together and I went through, uh, you know, we both initially went through a nasty investigation. It got really nasty for me. But, you know, IA kept my case open. And for people watching the show, Brett was not the IA commander when this went down. Him and I were partners working together. So he had no control over this. But they kept my case open one year and seven months, way past what they they uh, they should have legally been able to do. And even even though they can't you know, do discipline to you. And back then, I don't think the rule had changed yet, but it did a lot of, it did a lot of damage. And the only reason why it ever came, it got close is because a judge ordered them to release my case. And had it not been uh, for uh, Judge uh, Ober, it, that never, you know, that never would have happened. Well, you know, that, Chip, I have a, I have a splotchy disciplinary record as well. And I remember years ago, waiting on it, waiting on a case to be closed. And it went so long, I thought it was over. I figured, well, they just didn't tell me it's over. 
It turns out one of our majors decades ago was sitting on a stack of cases sitting behind his desk. And finally, somebody had to prompt him to do it. But where was the accountability at that point? You know, here I am, you know, give me my discipline. If I, if I made a mistake, deal with it. If not, you know, take this, take this cloud away from me because it's, the, the chiefs don't realize when you're sitting under the cloud of that investigation, man, it's a 24-hour problem for you. Well, yeah, and you know what? As a cop, you can't talk about it. I mean, for over a year and a half, I couldn't talk about a case that was active, and I was a subject officer, and I knew I hadn't done anything wrong, but I couldn't clear my name. I couldn't talk about it, but it, sure, it certainly didn't stop the people in internal affairs from uh, starting the rumor mill and just spreading all kinds of bad things about me. So yeah, that was unfortunate, you know, but you know, David right. D. Greston has, you know, went through this as well because he was listed as a rape suspect and he couldn't clear his name unless he got the girl to admit in court, you know, that she made it all up and was lying, which he eventually, it took him what a year or so to do Dave. And we've got that interview on Leo Roundtable. of people go down to our interview section. It's a great story, but it's scary. I, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. And to answer to answer uh, Brett's issue, it's just it's out there. It's, it's San Francisco that, to Ward and Brett. That, that's what it is. It's just San Francisco. N no surprise there on that uh, on that story. Now that you guys have gone way off, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, if there's uh, Brett, did you have anything you want to add before we go to the to the uh, next one, which yeah. is a video? Yeah, just just briefly, Chip. You talked about you know at least before you're not allowed to talk about your case. Well. Two years go by. Let's say you just forgot about it, you know, and it's, you know, okay, nothing's happened. And you're talking to your buddy. Yeah, that was happening your case. Well, here's what happened. Here's what I did. Completely forgetting that's been two years. And now they find out you did it. Now they've got that aha moment. And there you go. It's a crime in Florida. It is a crime. I can't remember first degree or second degree misdemeanor, but it is a crime. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks, Captain. And, uh, and David, uh, policeone.com, there's a video associated with this. Ohio cops rescue a woman trapped in a sinking car. You know, we were a little slim on videos this week for whatever reason, but uh, but this, I watched this, and I, I, I thought I definitely had to throw it on the show. Um, so a team of Ohio police officers saved a woman from drowning, and it happened after she crashed her car into a river. Now, the Alliance Police Department, and that's in Ohio, posted body cam video of a dramatic rescue and they put it on facebook the video shows officers wading through chest deep water towards the car i think it was a minivan they cannot get the doors open and of course the woman had called 911 and and was you know saying she's getting scared because now the water was getting chest high and window high and you know she's scared she's going to drown and so they actually play that and so, so it's, it gets submerged up to the windows, and one officer ends up using an axe to smash one of the back windows and pulls the, wo the woman out, and it ended up good. But it's officers uh, Christian Tussey, Shane Tallman, Joe Ambelli, Chris McCord, and Lee Rose. So uh, good job, guys. And uh, you probably don't get enough respect for what you guys do every day, but just a great video that just shows a portion of what we do on a daily basis. Any comments, uh, Cody? Any, any shout outs for anybody on this video? Go ahead, Dave. I thought it was a great video. I, I think they did a good job. And I also think that the woman for the future, you should know how to get out of your car should you ever submerge a car in water, especially if you have children in that car. Um, it's not that difficult to get a little tool that you need to break glass. You can get them at any auto zone. You can order them online from Amazon. Everybody should have one in their car so they can cut their seatbelt and break a window, just so you know. David's holding one up while you're talking, Cody. Yep. Excellent. 
that's I, well, I've, I've talked about this before. I'm not I'm not pitching products or anything like that, but it's a little gadget that I got my squad one year for for Christmas. I think it was called it's called a Rescue Me, R E S Q M E, Rescue Me. And I have it's the a same de- one on my keychain. Same it's one. It's a little device that that has a window punch, and you pop it off, and it's got a seatbelt cutter all together. Um, great little device. I think I got it. They were like six or seven bucks a piece or nothing. These are the things, guys, that cops carry, and that's why they call them first responders. That's why these people do it every day. That's what they do every day. First responders. Good job. Thanks, guys. Uh, Chief Newman? No, I thought it was a good video. I just was surprised Ron didn't comment that it was a white car. (laughs) Oh, now, for our radio listeners, Ron is about, what, 290 blackmail, Ron? Or you, you, what are you pushing these days? Well, well Brett, we have radio Brett. listeners, you know. And Dude, we want, 290 we want is good. 290 is good. 290 is good? Okay. Come on, push it. You can tell Ron is losing weight. Good job, Ron. <laughs> Thank hey, you, baby. Look, I, I agree with Cody. You should have had to do that. But I, that's, I've got to tell you something. You can hear it in that girl's voice. You know, first she starts out, hi, well, the water's up to my feet. And the next call is like, come here. You know, you, know, you, you lose your orientation. The, you, know, I, I, you know, for us, I, I don't know what it's like. I've never been submerged in a car before. I, I do know you roll down the windows to equalize the pressure before the water, the glass is up. It, but um, I was glad they got there. You could hear it in her voice when she called. I thought the dispatcher did a great job. The outcome was phenomenal. We don't see enough videos like this. You know, um, it, it was outstanding, to be honest with you. It was something everyone should watch and realize, hey, you know, most of what we do every day is about stuff like this. Thank you, Chief. All right, uh, Brett and Ron, we've got roughly uh, three minutes. Guys, go ahead. I'm good. Let's go quickly. Talking about radio, you know, uh, years ago, John Newman said at the convention center, and sort of a thousand people introduced me. Yeah, here's Brett Boy. He's got a face for radio. And it took me 30 seconds to go, wait a damn minute. Oh, that's good. You, well, you know, when, when Major Ron was campaigning for sheriff recently, uh, you know, he was he hit the Boss Hog Radio Network audience. I think, Ron, you were out in, what, Bushnell, I think? Weren't you out in Bushnell? And that's where all your peeps are at? And you didn't you kind of have roots over there? You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where Daddy's so. from, Bushnell, Florida, Sumter County. See, you got you to gotta love that. All right, excellent. All right, well, look, moving along here, our next one. Now, Ward, I expect to hear from you on this one. And and Ron, um, <laughs> no, Ron, I'll leave you alone because we're talking about body cavity searches, so I'm not – don't worry, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but uh, we're on Police One. Uh, Ken Wallentine uh, wrote the article, Body Cavity Search Ruled Reasonable Based on CI Credibility. And for those watching our show that don't know what CI stands for, it's Confidential Informant. So this is United States versus, uh, I guess, Ruffin. Um, Confidential Informant told DEA agents that um, uh, Julius Ruffin Ruffin, uh, planned to drive uh, to another city to purchase heroin from an unknown Mexican drug trafficker says that uh, she told the agent, so now we know the CI is a female, um, uh, would accompany uh, our bad guy. So the CI described Ruffin's vehicle and provided the license plate. CI maintained contact with the agents by text message throughout the trip and the drug deal. So everything sounds like it's going good. Agents watch uh, Ruffin and the CI enter the house, followed by two Hispanic men. 
After the two entered the house, CI sent a text stating that Ruffin had purchased a plastic bag of heroin, took the bag into the bathroom, stayed in there for about 20 minutes. And after uh, Ruffin and the CI left the house, drove away, agents followed them until they committed a traffic infraction. Ruffin are bad guys, the guy driving. Uh, so police, they get local police to stop the bad guy after a drug dog test positive uh, for controlled substance or alerts for it. The agent searched the car. They searched Ruffin. They don't find anything. They suspect that he concealed the drugs on his body when he went to the bathroom. So they get a warrant for a body cavity search. So the agents take our bad guy to the hospital. Uh, Ruffin, he's naked, shackled to the bed. A doctor actually refuses to do it, but a nurse agrees to do a finger search of his rectum. So the nurse felt something in the rectum, inserts an instrument to visually inspect in uh, she indicates she sees a foreign object, looks like a piece of plastic wrap. And so the daughter, doctors do an x-ray. They get three round objects. Nurse gives Ruffin several soap enemas. And then they get three bags of heroin and uh, fentanyl. So Ruffin claimed that there was no probable cause for the search warrant. Trial court ruled that there may not have been probable cause, but they had the good faith exception applied uh, to the search. And so they're good to go. Look, we're going to take another commercial break, but we'll be right back and, and finish this up. I want to talk to you about something that's affecting our law enforcement agencies nationwide right now. Our country's crying out for accountability around who we hire to serve and protect them. I've had a front row seat and not only seeing it, but also in experiencing the flaws in vetting and hiring law enforcement officers. It doesn't have to be this way. And our friends at Guardian Alliance Technologies, they have the solution. Now, Guardian has developed a CGIS compliant background investigative software platform that helps you uncover potentially problematic applicants in record time while helping to ensure that you have the best quality officers serving. There is no upfront fees, training fees, installation costs, or long-term contracts or commitment. So I strongly recommend that you visit them today at GuardianAllianceTechnologies.com. All right, well, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Now, we are talking about the rectum, body, cavity, search. Doesn't get any better than this, Ron, does it? Now, we've got uh, three bags of heroin and fentanyl that come out. And, of course, our bad guy said there was no probable cause for the search warrant. Uh, the court talks about the good faith exception, which Ward might talk about. So the appellate court uh, upheld the trial court's ruling. And the court was critical of one of the DA agents joking, and this is, I'm sure Ward's going to talk about this, joking that he would do the body cavity search, but only after he took a couple shots. And the court described this as an unnecessary additional affront to Rufin's, um, uh, his interest. And it says that uh, the search could have been handled a lot better. They could have started with the x-ray and treated him a little bit more respectfully. So that's what the court said. So um, that said, Cody, why don't you start us off and then Captain Brett jump in there. Well, I'm glad that they ruled that roughing Ruffin's rectum was the right thing to do. And uh, glad that we had a nurse that was willing to do it when the doctor uh, wimped out on that one. And, you know, as far as disrespecting, disrespecting Ruffin with the language of the police officer, you know, obviously he didn't have much respect for himself when he crammed heroin and fentanyl up his rectum. So no, no big loss. Yeah, I, Brett's hands went up like he was somewhat offended with that, Cody. So I, I, I don't know exactly what he was offended about, but something, something's there. No, not, not offended at all. I agree with you. But here's the thing. I, I think that the last line was they should have x-rayed him. I agree. You need to x-ray that guy because if there's something up there that could have popped if they had gone after it, you know, that mm -hmm. guy, he'll die right there. 
you know, if he's, if he's got all those drugs in a balloon and his, and his, and his chocolate starfish, you know, you got to be kind of careful about that. But here's the thing. Wow. If, if, if you don't, if you don't want somebody probing up your back door, don't put stuff up your back door, right? Just don't do it. But I, I think they should have, I think the me- medical necessity was they should have x-rayed him first. I think that was a cheap way just to make sure that there was nothing in there. Because if, if he's got a bag full of fentanyl up there and they pop that, man, he's dead. So I think it was reasonable to do an x-ray. Yeah, John, if you laugh any harder, you're going you're to spot, John. You better control yourself. And, 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 and you know, just point out, uh, Brett, that, you know, the officers don't necessarily have control over an x-ray. I mean, they have to... I mean, they got a search warrant for the body cavity search, but you know, a doctor, someone's got to authorize that X-ray and make it and make it happen too. So well, I don't know how much control they have. I, I, I agree with you. I, I agree, but I think I think it would have been a, a, a cheap way to just make sure everything was fine. Because if, if they had X-rayed him and found nothing, then he wouldn't have this big problem. I think an X-ray is it's just I think it's very reasonable. Gotcha. You know, I got to I got to jump in there on that point because Brett hit it. If they had popped that bag of fentanyl, fentanyl and that guy had farted, everybody in the hospital would have been dead. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, God, so, come on. But, 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 this is one of those situations where um, I'm going to say that, 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 that the term reasonable, that the term reasonable is now the wrong term. It might have been necessary, but, but it sure as hell wasn't reasonable. Um, <laughs> You know, I, it, it, and Ron laughs. You know, between what Brett said and when Ron had volunteered, didn't Ron volunteer for a bunch of nurses one time in nursing school for to to, to be the subject of something? Anyways, we'll get back to that later. Wow, wow. It, it, it it's it's a it's a difficult situation, guys. I, that's all. Hey, Jim, do you remember Tiny from 40th and Clifton? Oh God. Wow. Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember that's all he did, man. That's all he, oh, yeah. that's all he did with his dope. And he would be uh-huh. like, if you're going to go up and get it, you earn it. They're talking about fentanyl and heroin. There's some trafficking going on and some crack right there. But he used to put it up there. And he was like, you know, he wouldn't. I mean, we, we always had to deal with it. You're always worried about it. You know, you have like four or five pieces of crack in a baggie and you know, winds up, you know, rupturing in your rectal cavity. We're going to have to call nine one. So I, I was with Brett right up until he talked about the starfish, and I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. But we've dealt with something like that on the street. You'd be surprised how innovative and desperate folks get, and that's exactly what they have, they're dealing with here. <laughs> I agree. I agree with uh, the chief and uh, Brett absolutely wholeheartedly. It just seemed like it would be prudent to just – x-ray then you, you you know one way or the other like you said the guy has it in his prison wallet who wants to go in there and open that thing up let it go well in, in ward <laughs> i'm wondering ward whether in like nursing school do they have a section of the uh. curriculum where they actually teach <laughs> rectal digital finger swipe let me comment on this case uh, oh God! You can joke all you can joke all you want about the officer's comments, but he almost lost the search because of it. Brett hit the nail on the Brett hit the nail on the head. There's two issues here: is there probable cause? That's pretty easy in my mind. But even if there's probable cause, the search has to be reasonable. 
This is a body cavity search, so there's significant privacy interests at stake here. The court looks at three things in determining whether it's reasonable. The need for the evidence is one. The court ruled for the government on this. The uh, the second one is uh, whether there's any threat to health. The court did not find any threat to health here, so it ruled for the government on that. But the third issue was the invasion or intrusion of the defendant's dignitary interests. And the defendant actually won that part of the argument because the x-ray should have been done first because there would not have been a need to do the intrusion had they done the x-ray and because the cop made his smart remark. Now, you can joke all you want about it, but when you get a bad search because of something he says, it's no laughing matter. Uh, do you notice how I, the I gotta tone tell you, that word, that's, this song? is a laughing matter. No matter how we do it, it's a laughing matter. So, but I, I agree. Um, it is what, what, how intrusive can it get? It's not like they're coming in your car. Or they're not, they're, they're coming into your house. You know, they're, 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 they're coming into the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the old dirt road, you know, they're coming up where people shouldn't be going. So x-ray, do it. Let's just do it. Let's call it even. All right. I think John, I think John can hardly control himself. So, all right. Well, look, uh, yeah, you're right. It's a lot of stuff. It's, it's anyhow, it's interesting, uh, interesting court ruling. And yet again, you know, we, we joke about, you know, Ward saying, you know, we should watch our tongues, but he's, he always gets this stuff, this legal stuff to back up what he says. It just drives me crazy. So, uh, but yeah, very good Ward. You sold, you sold it good. All right. Well, look, uh, Let's move on. We've got a couple minutes here before we have to go to the um, to the next one. So um, we're going to go stay on police here. And let's see. This one is New York City cop impersonator stole wine before commandeering a bus. Now, it's a civilian uh, NYPD worker dressed up as a cop, demanded a Manhattan bound MTA bus, take him to Brooklyn. He stole a bottle of wine before his Thanksgiving uh, charade that he did here. Joseph McGreevy, he's 61 years old. He took the booze from the lower Manhattan hotel where he stand before he climbed aboard an X-28 express bus. And uh, he did all this, you know, around one o'clock in the afternoon. So McGreevy he dresses in a full NYPD attire, including a brass star. He tells the driver to take him to Brooklyn, even though the bus is headed in the opposite direction. There's no one else on the bus at the time, though. So the bus driver gets kind of spooked. So he starts to take McGreevy to Brooklyn, but then he flags down a cop while he's en route. The officer quickly determines that McGreevy is not a real cop, takes him into custody. So McGreevy's charged with criminal impersonation, obstruction of government administration, petty theft, for the stolen wine, and uh, McGreevy has been an NYPD, I say probably past tense now, he's been an NYPD administrative aide working out of the first precinct station house in Tribeca. It's not clear whether he's still employed or not, uh, but he put his career in jeopardy a month ago when he dressed up like a cop, approached a mounted horse unit in Midtown, flashed a badge, told officers he was with the NYPD, and when they asked him for a picture ID, you know, he hauls butt and they ended up catching him and charging him with unlawful impersonation, reckless endangerment and other and other stuff. So uh, um, NYPD, I think that's up in uh, that's definitely up in Cody's neck of the woods and uh, and John's what in the New Jersey section where he's from. We've got about 15 seconds, guys, before I got to take the next break. Any comments on this one at all? I know we're getting a lot of impersonation. Uh, See, David <coughs> making the move. I'll, I'll help you out. I'll help you out for for the last for the next 10 seconds. It's it's New York. Uh, de Blasio's getting what he's asking for. Pretty soon, that guy's going to be running a precinct up there. Are you kidding me? Thanks, David. Well put. All right, we're going to take one more commercial break. We'll be right back. 
So guys, I want to talk to you all about how best to watch our show. We've already covered the video section. So what about radio and podcast? So uh, we are syndicated on the radio five days a week to the Cutting Edge Radio Network. We're on Good Talk Radio. It's an internet radio station. You can find them um, on the internet or go to Good Talk Radio. It's a great outlet. Also, Bog, Boss Hog Radio Network. And they are in East Tampa. And they've got stations in Bushnell, Lakeland Plant City, they're in Winter Haven and Avon Park. They got four AMs and one FM station, and we love being on the Boss Hog Radio Network as well. Hey, we're also on 11 podcast formats. If you go to leoroundtable.com, top of our website, it's got a bunch of those. Spotify, we have an RSS feed. We're on Apple uh, as well. Um, so it's a great way to watch our show through the um through the podcast. We recommend you do that. And also now we're on Cutting Edge TV on Roku. I'll try to talk about that a little bit more later.